I was saying how we are at war, and sometimes I don't think we really realize the or grasp the depth of it or how uh, invasive and, and such this is actually becoming. Uh, it kind of got brought home to me when I was watching a video, and, and we're up here and we're all old people, so we probably don't even really know what this is, but there's this thing out there called, is it Alexa or Alexis, whatever it is? Alexa. Yeah. You can just walk in and say, Alexa, turn on the lights, and it'll turn on the lights. Or, you know, Alexa, turn on the TV to Netflix, and it'll flip it on there. And you just talk to it. You just tell it. And if you want to know something, you just ask it. Alexa, you know, what is a light bulb? And it'll tell you. So I watched this video, and it was, the reason it caught my eyes, it talked about Alexa being a, a left-wing social justice warrior. I thought, well, that's interesting. So I watched this video, and it was, they're sitting, a couple guys sitting there talking to Alexa, asking it questions. And it was revealing, you know, Alexa, what is communism? Oh, communism is a belief that everybody shares the wealth equally so that nobody is left, you know, in poverty type, type thing. Very innocuous definition of, of uh, communism. What is socialism? Same type of thing, you know. Um, who is Karl Marx? Oh, he was a, a, a leader, a, a great revolutionary, and etc. like that. Nothing negative. Nothing about the millions and millions and millions of people that he killed. But then it got to something that was really interesting to me. They said, Alexa, who was Muhammad? And it started out, Muhammad was a very wise prophet who taught people around the world how to, how to love and be compassionate, etc., etc. And the guy's just shaking his head like, <laughs> And then it said, Alexa, who is Jesus Christ? And the response was, Jesus Christ was a mythical figure. What? <laughs> Can you believe that? This is how pervasive this attack on our belief and our lifestyle, not only as Christians, but as Americans. It is such an attack. Such an orchestrated attack that you can't even ask your stupid computer to answer a question and it be objective about it. Unbelievable. I was just shocked at that. <laughs> oh, well, I, I just threw that in there. You don't have to pay extra for that. <laughs> Go to Psalm chapter 103 with me, if you would. And I want to, you know, last week I talked about depression and suicide and uh and mental illness and demon attacks and control and things like that. And I just, I couldn't quite completely get away from it. So I want to deal with something along that same line, but at a different angle. And that is the guilt that we sometimes carry. 103. Psalm 103. I want you to think for a moment that you're out with your young children or your grandchildren and you decide to go out and play baseball and you, you do the normal thing, and, and the, the wife or grandma, she gets up to bat, and she bats and hits a five-year-old right in the chest and kills him. It's an actual story I read not too long ago where a, a mother killed her five-year-old son by hitting a baseball and hitting him in the chest and killing him. Now, I want you to think about your life from that point on. How would you deal with that? How could you ever handle that? We saw in the news recently... It was a big story, oh, I don't know, a month, two, two ago, where that 
Those kids were out on that bridge, and one of them shoved that girl off the bridge. Remember that story? Ended up breaking her neck or back, and she's, you know, and and uh, what did it break a bunch of ribs and punctured lungs and you know all kinds of different things that that poor girl went through. And and I think about the guilt that would be carried for you the rest of your life, knowing that you did that to your friend, even though there was nothing. You know, nothing vicious about it. There was, there was nothing evil about it. It was just stupid. It was just something that you shouldn't have done. But the simple fact is that you and I carry guilt because every one of us has done something that we wish so desperately that we had never done. And we don't want anybody to know about it. We don't want to think about it. We don't want to carry but it impacts our life. It, it, it impacts our life. Psalm 103 and verse 10 out of the Amplified. Verse 10, Psalm 103, it says, He has not dealt with us according to our sins as we deserve. Thank God. <laughs> Nor rewarded us with punishment according to our wickedness. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is His loving kindness toward those who fear and worship Him with awe-filled respect and deep reverence. As far as the east is from the west, so far He has removed our transgressions from us. As a father loves his children, so the Lord loves those who fear and worship Him with awe-filled respect and deepest reverence. For He knows our mortal frame. He knows our mortal frame. He remembers that we are merely dust. Lord, I just pray that you will help us today in many ways. Help us to deal with this part of our psyche, our our life that we carry, Lord. And I just pray, God, that you will help us in a supernatural way that man can't do, a doctor can't do, a therapist can't do, but Lord, the Holy Spirit can do. And I just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And sometimes those things that we do, we carry forever and it never goes away. You always think about it, at, you know, it pops up in the middle of the night or when you're driving or something and you think about that thing that you did. And, and I guess the one that, that, that hits me the most is 10 years old, I think. Isn't that what a fifth grader is, about 10? 10 years old, my friend Myron and I, I think it was Myron, I don't even remember that part of it for sure. Uh, we were somewhere, and there was this this little Asian kid. He was our size, you know, but Asian kid. And I don't remember what led to it. I know his sister was there, and some we probably said something smart. I don't know, but he went into a karate stance <laughs> to us, and we took that as a challenge, and we beat that boy. We beat him so bad, and. Literally from the minute that I left there, from the moment I left, I was nauseated. I was sick. That was not me. That was not what I do. And I felt, I couldn't even sleep at night. And 45 years later, I still carry that. And I think about that. And I think about his little sister standing there screaming. And it's almost haunting to think about what we did to that boy. Simply because he went into karate stance like he was going to do something to us. And so 45 years later, I still carry that. And I think all of us have that. 
we did something or said something to our children that we wish so desperately we could take back. We, we did something in our marriage that we wish so bad that we could get away from. We, we stole something. We, and you can go, everybody has their own thing. You know what it is, and, and, and I can't tell you what it is, but you know what it is. All of us carry that. And the problem with it is the devil knows what your specific one is. He knows what it is, and he loves to remind you of it. Why? Because it's a control that he can put on your life. He can hold you. He can, he can grip you. He can, he can keep you from having peace. He can keep you from having joy. He can bring that up at the most inopportune times and destroy what God is trying to do in your heart and your life at that moment just by bringing up and reminding you of just how dirty, rotten, despicable, and disgusting you are. I'm not telling you that. That's what the devil would say. <laughs> That's what the devil does. And he loves to bring that up. I heard uh, a preacher say, he said, if you can't believe God, or he said, you can't believe God is a forgiving God if you can't allow God to forgive you and you can't forgive yourself. See, we carry that. And we think God is so forgiving for them. But it's hard sometimes to apply that forgiveness to me. And even when we think in our mind, God has forgiven me, we still hold unforgiveness towards ourselves. And I don't believe that it's possible to really believe and grasp the forgiveness of God if we don't understand that God truly has forgiven us and to the point that we can say, I have forgiven myself. Can you imagine the Apostle Paul and what he dealt with? As a as a man who was called out, who literally would come into a setting like this, round up all these people and put us to death. He would hold their coats as they bashed our skulls in with rocks. And, and, and he, would, he would carry that. And, and they did it at his charge, at his authority. That was his job. And then one day he comes in contact with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and God saves him. But do you think he forgot all those people that he saw over to kill? Do you realize what the devil could have, how the devil could have changed history if he would have been able to beat the Apostle Paul down with that guilt to the point to make him uh, impotent in his ministry? Can you imagine the difference? He wrote two-thirds of this book. Much of our theology is, is rested on the Pauline epistles and what he taught us in his writings. But if he carried that guilt so heavily that he didn't feel like he was worthy and he couldn't pick up a pen or however they wrote back then, and he, he couldn't do that. If he carried that to that point, we wouldn't have two-thirds of the, what, we, what we understand as his writings today. But he was able to somehow realize that not only had God forgiven him, but he was able to forgive himself. He was able to say, what I did in the past. Do you think that those faces popped into his mind at night? Oh, I, I guarantee the devil threw that up. 
Oh, I guarantee that when he laid his head down at night to sleep, I guarantee the devil brought that up. I guarantee when he stood up in front of a congregation of people to speak, you better believe that the devil was right there saying, how dare you talk to these people when you were killing them literally months ago? How dare you? But at some point, Paul had to say, I am forgiven by the Lord God Almighty and I forgive myself. I'm not going to carry this. Can you forgive others if you haven't really ever truly forgiven yourself? I'm not sure that we can understand forgiveness until we apply it to our own life and realize that the person I was before is dead. The Bible says he died, buried, He's gone. He does not exist anymore. And when he come, when you come up, came back up, when you come out, symbolized by coming up out of that water, when you come up again, you are a new creature. You are a new creation in Christ. That old guy who beat up a little Asian kid just because he went into a karate stance no longer exists. He is gone. Whoever it was who, who, who said horrible things to their children or who had an affair or who stole something or who lied or whatever that guilt is that you carry, that guy is dead. He's gone. He doesn't exist anymore. He is buried. The only one that carries that is the devil and you. Those are the only two. God says, as far as the east is, from the west. That means... He throws it one way, he throws it the other way, and those things never meet again. Because the east and the west don't come together. God has taken it out. Everyone fights with that. Everyone deals with that thing that is inside of them that they don't want to deal with. And so many people hide it today. There are people, so many people within churches that have things in their lives that they hide and nobody knows about and they know how to put on the church face and they know how to put on the church speak, but there's something that they're hiding and it's there. A story is told of a famous playwright named Noel Coward. He pulled an interesting prank. He found the seven, or seven, the 20 most influential, well-known leaders in England at the time, and he sent each one, of a each one of them a letter. It was supposed to be a joke. This is what the letter said. Everybody has found out what you are doing. If I were you, I'd leave town. <laughs> the story is, all 20 left town. It's like when you catch your kid, and I've, I, I've done this before. I used to do it with Tricia, I admit, I mean. But I would get, you tell me what you did. I'm not saying, you tell me. And she would go into a panic. It was like, what does he know? <laughs> <laughs> what is it that he knows? <laughs> She'll fuss at me about that today sometimes, doing that to her. It's like, you know, who knows my deepest, darkest secret that I don't want anybody else to know? What, how, how does he know that? But see, guilt is a crippling force. That's why the devil uses it, is because it's a crippling force. If the devil can convince you that you're not worthy to do God's work, guess what happens? God's work that you were called and anointed to do doesn't get done. Right? If the devil can convince you that you have no right to speak to that 
drug addict, adulterer, liar, thief, you go down the list because you're no better than they are because of what you did. And if the devil can convince you, you have no right to talk to that person because of how bad you are, guess what? That person doesn't hear the gospel that day. That's what guilt does. It takes our effectiveness away. But the Bible says, He has not dealt with us according to our sins. Why? Because He dealt with Jesus according to our sins. And when somebody pays it... See, guilt is a two-faceted thing. If you're guilty, you're guilty. I mean, if you walk into a store, pull a gun and rob the place and and walk out with $200, you're guilty. That's guilty. Uh, And if you go to prison for five years for that and they let you out, you're free. You know, but there's another side of guilt. The other side of guilt is what you carry in your heart and in your spirit and in your mind that doesn't allow you to get past that day that you robbed that store and got $200. That's the part that's more crippling. That's the part that is is more destructive. Psychologists say that guilt is a simple factor that prompts millions of people in the United States to take pills every day to tranquilize their anxiety, just to get by. The, these people are just simply disgusted, many of them, just disgusted by the person that they have become or the person that they are. Psychologist Roy Bummeister of Case Western Reserve University in Cleveland, that was long, <laughs> he studied guilt in, in 1991. And he found that the average person spends approximately two hours a day simply feeling guilty. (laughs) I thought that was interesting. He said they spend an average of 39 minutes of time a day uh, feeling severe guilt. And that's why I say guilt can be, I'm not sure if I totally agree with that or not, I've never studied it. But I found it interesting because I believe that whether the numbers are exact or not, it is true that people often deal with that guilt. And that guilt becomes a debilitating factor in our life. We forget that Jesus took that guilt, that that crime, that sin, and put it under the blood and it's no longer on our shoulders. But we allow it to be put back on our shoulders by Satan. And because of that, it takes our effectiveness away in ministry. Now, guilt isn't always bad. If you do something wrong, you should feel guilty about it. Guilt is kind of a, a stinging effect. It's kind of a uh, uh, deterrent. You know, it's like when you're out playing in the field like we used to do as kids, you know, and you go up to a fence and, and you grab it to go through and it's electric and you go like that and get your hand off of it. That's what guilt does. It, it takes your hand away. It gets you away from something. It, it's like a... Uh, it's like a deterrent, the, uh, a, uh, something that stings us. And that's a good thing. But when we, when we allow guilt to become part of our, I don't know, our psyche, and I think that so many people are there where they live there. See, Satan is the accuser of the brethren. That's what he does. Satan likes to throw up in our face all the things that we've ever done wrong. 
He likes to talk about all the times we failed. That's one of his greatest things, talking about how we failed, how we messed up, how God is sick of us, he doesn't love us, and he's mad at us, and, and you know, we've gone too far, we've gone too deep. No, there's no way that God's going to forgive you because of what you've done. It's just too bad. You might as well sit at home and watch soap operas and vegetate rather than trying to do anything with your life because you're worthless anyway. Sound like the devil you deal with? I know that guy. <laughs> we don't battle with the results or consequences of the accusations. We battle with the emotions that, that is, are there because of our actions. See, the consequences, a lot of times we deal with it. You know, as a cop, I deal with that. And there are some people that they're just like, yep, I did it. I know, i got to go down to the clink. Let's go. You know, they, they're, they're not angry, a lot of them. Some of them are. But a lot of them, they, they realize... I committed the crime. This man has a job to do. He's going to take me in. I'm going to have free room and board for a few months, and then I'm going to be out. They understand there's a consequence for their actions. That's not the guilt part. The guilt part is that voice that speaks into our head, that thing that, that bothers us. Uh, the guilt, the, the Bible says that God takes that that sin that we've committed, and he casts it away from him. He does not remember it. We often remind him of it, but he does not remember it. We aren't, we aren't guilty anymore. We just believe we're guilty. See, that's the power of it. There's an old saying that if a man believes he's going to die tomorrow, he'll probably find a way to make it happen. There is power in what we believe. And when we carry that, when we believe, God says, I saved you, I've cleansed you, I've freed you, you don't have to carry that anymore. And then we go and we pick it up and we say, but I am just useless. I am so bad. We are the ones that bring that guilt. We carry that guilt. We believe that guilt. And because we believe that guilt, the devil is successful in what he's trying to do. The Bible says he has not rewarded us with punishment according to our wickedness. Jesus took that for you. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is His loving kindness towards those who fear and worship Him with awe-filled respect and deepest reverence. You notice, His loving kindness is, is, is this way. It's vertical. It is as the heavens are high above the earth. What does that tell us? Well, there's, there's up and there's down. You know, there's heaven, there's earth. When you come down, you get to the earth. There's, there's boundaries there. There's a level there. Is God loving kindness? Is he, is he full of loving kindness? Absolutely. Is there a limit to what God will do with his loving kindness? Absolutely. The Bible said, my spirit will not always strive with man. You can't live the way you want to live all the time and expect God to just say, yeah, it's cool, you're fine, you're good, don't worry about it. He, there's a limit to that. But there's no limit to the fact that when we are purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ, our sins are gone. He casts those this way. And those two directions never meet again. As far as the east is from the west, so far has re he removed our transgressions. It's, in other words, I am merciful and forgiving, but there's a limit. But when it comes to your sin and guilt, they no longer exist. See, it's just too many people feel like we can claim Christianity. And, and I've mentioned this many times. And there's an old, old thing about if you were put on trial for being a Christian, would you be found guilty? There's a whole lot of people would not be found guilty of being a Christian if they were put on trial. 
So many people today want to carry the label of Christian, but there's absolutely nothing in their life that would indicate that they're a Christian in any way. And there's a problem there. I'm talking about when you're born again. When you're born again, whatever you did before is gone. You say, this is just basic theology, preacher. Well, sometimes we need to hear it again. Because the devil will put that guilt back on our shoulders and stop us dead in our tracks and make us die inside because of something. Hebrews chapter 4 and 3 says, And not a creature exists that is concealed from his sight, but all things are opened and exposed and revealed to the eyes of him with whom we have to give an account. Nothing you did in secret is ever in secret, for Almighty God has seen it. And He knows right where you are and what you've done. It's all before His eyes. He, you can hide it from people. You can hide it from men. How many times have we thought, oh, let me throw a name out there, Bill Cosby. Anybody here just love Bill Cosby down through the years? I mean, I tell you, my dad had records from him from the 60s and his... Superman routine and Noah and the Ark routine and all, oh my gosh, they were so funny. And I remember when I was a wallpaper hanger, I was up on the top of a ladder hanging wallpaper way up on reaching on the top of this ladder and somebody had that album on and I was laughing trying to hang this wallpaper so I wonder I didn't fall off the ladder. He was hilarious and people held him in such high regard and high esteem and then one day, bam, it hits because of the guilt that he had hid that guilt that was supposedly not open to the public all of a sudden became public and it changed our perception completely in the matter of an hour or two. And we, that happens over and over and over and so many examples can be thrown out there. We have to realize that, that God sees everything that we do, but the devil will remind you as a child of God. He will tell you everything that you did wrong and He will try to convince you that your, blood, your, your sin is not under the blood. Folks, it is under the blood. It is gone. I want to tell you, when you were born again, God saved you and He cleaned it up. That thing you did is no longer relevant in your life. Don't let the devil hold it against you. Don't let him bring it up. Don't let him have any power or authority over you because of that guilt. That's what he does is he tries to take that. But it goes on and says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize and understand our weakness and temptations, but one who has been tempted knowingly exactly how it feels. Knowing exactly how it feels to be human. God knows right where you're at. Whatever you're dealing with with this, this guilt in your life, the person next to you is dealing with it too. We often think it's only mine. Nobody, nobody has done what I have done. Here's a surprise. You can look to your right and you can look to your left and that person did too. <laughs> that person did it too. He was checking guy out. Oh, you did that? <laughs> it doesn't matter. We're equally guilty. Therefore, let us with the privilege approach the throne of grace that is the throne of God's gracious favor. Listen, I'm going to read that again. Put everything aside. Focus. Verse 16. Therefore, 
For this reason, because you've been bought, because your sin is as far as east is from the west, because the power of God has redeemed you, because Jesus Christ paid your sin. Therefore, let us with privilege approach the throne of grace, that is the throne of God's gracious favor, with confidence. We don't often approach the throne of God with confidence, and most of the time it's because we feel too inadequate to do so. Do you realize that our confidence is not in who we are or how big we are? I learned that lesson when I was in correction school, going to, to, to school to, to learn how to be a correctional officer, and we went to a jail down in Vancouver, Washington, and this little jailer gal was about that, that tall, and we're going down the hallway, and there was this big old monstrosity of a guy standing in the hallway just looking at her. And she's got like eight or ten of us students behind her, and she's walking along, and she walks up to him and says, step aside, and he just stands there. And she just looked at him and said, fella, we can do this the easy way or the hard way, but you are going to step aside. And that big mountain of a man stepped aside. Why? Because she could beat him up? I guarantee she couldn't beat him up. But there was enough authority behind her that there was about 15 other guys that were going to come beat, her, beat him up. <laughs> it wasn't because of her. She didn't bring fear. She didn't bring any kind of... It was nothing about her. She was just a little small woman. I'm not saying that to, to be right, women. Don't, don't accuse me of something now. I'm not Kavanaugh. <laughs> I'm saying that because it's reality. That it's not in us. When we walk into the throne room of God, it is because we carry the banner that says, I am a Christian. I am born again. I carry behind me the power and the authority of the risen King of Kings and the risen Lord of Lords. It doesn't matter how tall I am or short I am, how muscular I am, how good looking I am, how ugly I am. It makes no difference whatsoever because I carry the authority of Jesus Christ behind me. Every sin I've ever committed is gone. And I am clean. And because of that, I can walk into that throne room with authority and with confidence because my name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Are you alive out there, anyone? Amen. (laughs) We walk in there with confidence. The next words are, without fear. That crippling force that is guilt that the devil likes to use on us, he has another one, it's called fear. If he can put us in fear, he can stop us. We've been there. We've seen it. Anyone in my line of work has seen that at some point where something happened. You can be the best trained police officer. You can go to the academy. You can go to SWAT schools. You can go to this school and that school and be the best ever. And then you get face-to-face with a dude with a real gun and lock up. Because you never know how you're going to deal with it when you're actually in the battle. Again, it's not how much training I do, how big I am, how strong I am, or how tough I am. I can be Chuck Norris on steroids. It makes no difference whatsoever. When I'm going in there, it is the power of God behind me, not my ability. It is Almighty God. So that we may receive what? Mercy. Mercy. To an appreciate an appropriate blessing coming just at the right moment. 
we will find mercy for our failures and find His amazing grace to help in time of need. You know what that means? You didn't deserve it. That's what that means. You get to walk into the throne room not because of anything you did right, but because you are bought. You get to walk into that throne room. That is grace. If we didn't have grace, you know what would be happening right now? We would be making a one-way appointment to go to hell. That's, what, that's where we would be if it wasn't for grace. But the grace of God says, I took your sins, I threw them away, and now I'm giving you what you don't deserve because you don't want me to give you what you do deserve. Grace is that unmerited favor that God gives. I, you know, I know I've been snorting and carrying on up here. I'm just trying to tell you, don't let that guilt weigh you down. It destroys your ability to minister because you don't think you're good enough to do it. Colossians 1.3 says, For He has rescued us and drawn us unto Himself from the dominion of darkness and has transferred us into the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption because of His sacrifice, resulting in the forgiveness of our sin and the cancellation of sin's penalty. You know what that means? You're on the wrong spot, the wrong way, heading to the wrong direction, and Scotty locked onto you and beamed you right over into the kingdom of Almighty God. He transferred transferred you, that word said, transferred you. You no longer are where you were, but He transferred you into His glorious kingdom. That's what happens when God redeems you. I don't want you to ever carry that guilt again. I don't want you to ever carry that guilt again. I think about, I mean, there's so many examples. I think about military leaders, you know, George S. Patton who puts men on the line and thousands and thousands of those young 17, 18, 19, 20-year-old boys never come home. And if he carried that guilt, if he allowed that guilt to, to weigh him, would he ever have been able to continue as a leader of the military? He wouldn't. But he had to let that guilt, he couldn't focus on that guilt. Christians do it all the time because you just don't know where I've been. You just don't know what I've done. You don't know the horrible things that I have committed. You just don't know. No, I don't. But he does. And he said, you are washed. You are clean. You are holy. You are no longer bound by that. Now get up and do something for the kingdom of God because that stuff is forgotten. Would you stand with me and let's pray? Father, I've given it all I can today. I'm ready for a nap. Father, I just need your Holy Spirit to do what I can't do. I am so inadequate in my flesh to do what only can be done by the Holy Spirit of God. Lord, we battle, Father. You know that. We struggle. We fight with this old life that even comes up on us even four decades into our Christianity. The devil still wants to throw it up on us, Lord. I just pray, Father, for every single person in this body today. I pray for them. I pray, God, that if they're carrying that guilt, I pray that right now that'll be laid down and never picked up again. I pray, Lord, that as the devil will try this very day to bring it back to their remembrance, I pray, Lord, that you will give them the boldness, the courage, and the strength to say, no, 
I am saved, I am redeemed, and you can't put that back on me. I pray, Lord, that you will help them to realize that they are not the person that they used to be. They are born again. They are washed in the blood. They are covered by grace. I pray, Father, that you'll do that today. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.